Hello. I guess that's better than saying, welcome my ugly wife. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Okay, so I'm just curious. Um, I just want to let you know, I am so heat adverse, I turn into a nasty troll when it gets hot. <laughs> so, so, well, somebody's sleeping on the couch for the next month. I guess we need to sign up for the marriage class, huh, honey? <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm just curious, how hot was it when you guys came in? 102. 102? 103? Somebody say 103? Yeah. I heard it's supposed to get to 106 today. So, does anybody actually like it when it's this hot? Some people did? No. <laughs> Dustin, you, you walk outside and get sunburned. <laughs> like, all Irish. Okay, well, today, um, we are going to be talking about friendship. And uh, we're not going to break out the friendship bracelets and make friendship bracelets. Um, <laughs> there's a quote here that Aristotle, who is a philosopher, can we get that quote up? Without friends, no one would want to live, even if he had all other goods. And I think this really captures the essence of what we're going to look at today. Um, if you have in the past ever had good friends or, or, or been a good friend like that, you know what a value it is. I think a lot of times when we read through the Bible, uh, especially Proverbs, it talks about friendship. And maybe we think um, it's a warm, fuzzy thing that's all about poops and giggles, you know. <laughs> we're, we're just going to have fun and hang out, which is true. You need that. But the type of friendship that we're going to be examining today has its roots in something called chesed, which is a Hebrew word. That's like the only Hebrew word that I can pronounce. Um, but maybe when I said friendship, you were thinking that it would, we were, it, the images like this were coming to your head, like, you know, little soft bunny rabbits or, you know, these little teddy bears. And this is sacrilege because the quote that goes along with it says, friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. And it's paired with these horrible teddy bears and these little hearts. Aristotle said that, so it's just, it's horrible that they paired the little teddy bears with this. But anyways, you get the idea. Or maybe you think, when I said friendship, about the next slide, you know, it's all, that we're going to just, we're going to just have fun together and give each other hugs and say affirming things to each other. That's a part of friendship, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is worlds away. Um, well, why, why talk about friendship? Well, in our culture, friendship doesn't get a lot of uh, airplay, if you will. You stand the line, grocery line, you don't see, uh, you know, Us Magazine or People Magazine with titles about, uh, uh, you know, Brad Pitt and uh, Johnny Depp started a bromance or they got together and just had coffee. It's, it's more stuff about, um, you know, who slept with who and who's dating who behind who's back and who double-crossed too. It's because that sells, that, that attracts us, you know. And I'm just going to confess right here, I, I like reading People magazine. I do like that. I like Us magazine, so I'm just putting that out there. Um, but friendship isn't sexy. It doesn't have a sheen to it where you go, ooh, ooh, glittery and shiny. I like that. It just doesn't sell movies. It doesn't, it doesn't sell magazine titles. Um, and I think as a society, too, um, 
It's like friendship. It's like, eh, we can't really make a buck off that. A case in point is with the Lord of the Rings movie. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, don't raise your hand. But you should know Lord of the Rings because it took over our culture for a couple of years. Um, the central premise, one of the central focuses of the movie was this love relationship between an elf, Arwen, and Aragorn, this awesome, studly, bearded dude. <laughs> and... Uh, and so romance kind of plays a central role in the movie, right? Well, what's interesting is it was written by Tolkien. Tolkien was best buds with C.S. Lewis. The love story when originally, when uh, Tolkien wrote the book, wasn't a part of the main storyline. It was actually a part of the, in the appendices in the back. But Hollywood came along, the powers that be, and they said, you know, we got to make this a little bit more attractive because romance always sells. We need to try and bring in a different demographic. So let's make the romance front and center. But if you read the books, which my husband has like 50 billion times, <coughs> and I have too, you know that the central focus of the story is all about friendship, particularly the friendship between Frodo and Sam and how they're just, they're, they're stuck together and they're, the, their friendship goes through a lot of tribulations. Friendship, though, is the primary thing. So it's just kind of interesting that Hollywood was like, you know, and I'm not bagging on Hollywood, but they're like, let's, let's sell more tickets and let's bring in the romance thing and make that front and center. Well, you know, it worked because it brought in a different demographic than it would have if it was just about friendship, right? So, so why are we talking about friendship then if it's not sexy, <laughs> if it's not attractive and shiny? <clears throat> I think what's interesting is that the, um, especially the scientific and academic world, is starting to study the effects, the positive effects of friendship. There are tons, and, and as I was uh, prepping for this, I read tons and tons and tons of studies and articles that are being done. And these are scientific studies that have uh, been conducted over the last 10 years across age groups, um, uh, different demographics, different nationality, just like all over the place, Sweden, South Africa, all over the place. And they're finding their be the benefits of friendships, deep, good, nurturing friendships are profound. Um, in one report, they, they, they looked at a group of elderly people that lived in Amsterdam. And um, I know I think of one thing when I think of Amsterdam, but we're, we're, we're going to tie Amsterdam with friendship here. But these elder, this group of elderly people, it was a, they studied a group of elderly people that lived in a home that had friendships with one another. And then they looked at a group of elderly people that did not have friendships, that were kind of loners, lived by themselves. The group that had close-knit friendships in this community outlived the other people, and they were a lot healthier. They were, they, they were like 35% healthier than the people that lived by themselves, and they lived longer than the people that lived by themselves. Um, scientists have found recently that um, there is something called oxytocin, not oxycontin. That's different. <laughs> but um, oxytocin is a hormone that both men and women have. Uh, it's called the breastfeeding hormone or the mother hormone <laughs> because uh, when you breastfeed uh, your baby and you hold your baby, you produce more of it and you bond with your baby. That's how the bonding happens. They're also finding, though, that in both men and women, when those levels are raised, obviously men can't breastfeed, but when you engage in close friendship, the type of friendship we'll be looking at today, like real honest-to-goodness friendship, not like, hi, how you doing? When you have that, your oxytocin level goes up, and the benefits are amazing. People have healthier immune systems. They rec recover quicker 
from serious illness like cancer or surgery, the body heals quicker. And the, all the, these, and it, this isn't just like new age journals or holistic journals. Like this is stuff that's legit, and 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 um, like the New England Journal of Health, like legit journals. So there's a lot of health benefits, but we're not going to look at it because of the health benefits. Um, but I, let me read you this quote though. This woman is Rebecca Adams, and she's a professor. Um, at uh, University of North Carolina, and she was quoted in this New York Times article about how we don't really study and look at friendship enough. In general, the role of friendship in our lives isn't terribly well appreciated. Uh, there is just scads of stuff on families and marriage, but very little on friendship. It baffles me. Friendship has a bigger impact on our psychological well-being than family relationships. And let's be honest, family relationships, you're just kind of you know, you're born into family relationships, right? And so it's like you have to learn how to live with your family or make it work. Um, friends, though, you get to choose your friends. And so today we are going to be looking at this, um, this whole idea. Can we pull up the picture of David and Jonathan, Rembrandt's picture? And then why don't you guys go ahead and turn into your Bibles to 1 Samuel 19. We are going to be looking at the story of Jonathan and David in 1 Samuel. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so this picture here is obviously vastly different than the picture of the teddy bears that we're snuggling, right? <laughs> um, that's because we're going to be talking about a type of friendship that I called chesed. Chesed is Hebrew, and it has its roots in Yahweh in the Old Testament. And how Yahweh, how God, that's what you, you could call God, God in the Old Testament, but if you want to sound like all religious, you call him Yahweh. Um, so in the Old Testament... God made a covenant with his people. Um, and, pr and prior to making a covenant with the Israelites, he made covenants with Noah. He had a covenant of sorts with Adam and Eve, um, and then with Abraham, and then eventually with the people of Israel. And so this idea of chesed um, was a type of, uh, like, meaty, faithful, I got your back kind of friendship. It was a loving kindness. It was a faithfulness that was rock solid, and it wasn't contingent on emotions or benefits or what the other person would get out of it. So God, throughout the Old Testament, with the Israelites, he's always throwing down for the Israelites. Sometimes he wanted to throw them down, but he was always, he always had their back, right? And he was always, he made this covenant with them, and I don't think we understand covenant um, I, I don't completely understand it. We don't understand covenant, though, in our, in our Western culture. Covenant, though, was, um, was a very binding, 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 binding contract. And typically how it was done was you had two people. Um, they would get animals, and you'd cut the animals in half, okay? I know it's bloody, and we're kind of maybe, I don't know, we're adverse to hurting animals, but this is just how it was, so hang with me. So they would cut the animals in half, all right? And the other person... One person would come up with this, this treaty, or this agreement, this covenant that they were going to make with one another, and one person would walk through the halves, the two halves, okay? And then the other person would walk through. And that ratified the covenant between the two people. And the only way that that could be broken is if somebody died or was killed, okay? That was how binding it was. It's not, you couldn't find a loophole and get out of the covenant. You couldn't say, you know what, I'm just not feeling this, I'm out, I'll see you later, here are the divorce papers. It was binding, broken only by death. And this is the type of covenant relationship that God had with the Israelites. 
Now, how does that have bearing on our story today? Well, David and Jonathan. Jonathan is the guy with the fluffy hat thing, the feather. And, then jo- and he's hugging Jonathan. Or, uh, sorry, David. <clears throat> and um, the two of them in 1 Samuel had this kind of relationship. Uh, let's actually go, I lied. Sorry, put your finger. Oh, did I tell you 1 uh, Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Samuel 18 or 19? 19? 19? Yes? Okay. Okay, good, good. That's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. Actually, put your finger there, and we're going to hop over to um, first. And here's a little background. First, uh, first Samuel 18 is where we're going to start, actually. A little, little background, because we're going to be bouncing back and forth, and the story between Jonathan and David is pretty long, and we're not going to, I know you guys probably want to not stay here for five hours, although I could probably speak for five hours. But So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the story. Um, so as we enter the story here in 1 Samuel 18, um, what has just happened is um, David has um, kicked Goliath's booty, okay? And he has whooped up on Goliath, and um, David has become a national hero, right? Women are writing songs about him. It's like, if you, who's, I don't know, who's the big musical star? Um, not Taylor. Okay, Taylor Swift, all right. I was going to make fun of her later, so that's why I didn't want to use her. But okay, let's say, how about Bono, right? Who or who? Bono. Okay, let's say Bono wrote a story about you. You guys know who Bono is, right? For some of you younger people. Okay, you too. All right, all right. Just. Okay, so let's say Bono of you two wrote a song about you. And it was like, it was number one seller on like YouTube. Okay, this is the level of celebrity that David has achieved by this point. He kicked, he saved the Israelites. He rescued the entire nation, right? And Saul... The king is like, you're awesome. You've got military prowess. I want a guy like you on my team. My Saul for president campaign. Come on, why don't you join me? You know, jump on board. So he embraces, Saul embraces David and is like, why don't you come and be my primary military advisor? I like you. You're good people. You get stuff done. Okay? So this is kind of where we enter the story. And at this point um, in 18, in 1 Samuel 18.1, David is recounting his victory to everybody. It says to Saul, but most likely they were having a huge banquet because they like to celebrate military victories. And he's like, yeah, this is what's up. This is how I slayed Goliath. This is, I had my stance like this, and I had, my, you know, I had the angle like this. So he's probably going over all this, right? And overhearing it is Jonathan. And Jonathan overhears it because he's the crown prince, which means that he is the first one to inherit the throne if anything happens to Saul, okay? He is not second in line. He's not third in line. He's not the fourth cousin, fifth removed. He is the next guy um, in line to receive the throne. <clears throat> so he hears David speaking, and let's read it. Verse uh, 18, or sorry, 18 Verse 1, 1 Samuel 18, 1. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David and loved him as much as he loved himself. Okay, so maybe you're thinking, wow, that's kind of weird. Isn't that rushing into things? (laughs) Um, Aristotle has this great quote, and he says, friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. And I think what happened here, because in the verses prior to this, in the chapters prior to this, um, David, or... uh, Jonathan is painted also as a similar kind of guy. He has a heart for God. Remember, David's called the man after God's own heart. Samuel is likewise, or uh, sorry, Jonathan is likewise. He's, uh, he's, an inc- he's incredibly uh, accomplished in the military field, okay? He knows how to take names and kill people. 
just to put it bluntly, right? He's a great tactician, but he also is a man of upstanding integrity, and he loves God with all of his heart. So guess what? He meets David, and he's like, whoa. He's like, somebody I totally get. Have you guys ever met somebody, like, you just, you don't really know him, but you start talking, and there's an instant, like, hmm, wow. Oh, you like that too? What? What? That's cool. And you just start bonding. And it, maybe it's motorcycles or maybe it's makeup or clothes or whatever. I don't know. But you just have that instant like, oh, you get that? I thought I was the only one that liked stuff like that. And I didn't make it known that I had a hobby like that or I collected that. But you just, you just, you click, okay? So this is what happens with David. And let me just, I'm going to have a little quick caveat here. Um, a lot of people would say that the relationship between David and Jonathan is grounds for advocating for, you know, the Bible. Yes, the Bible advocates for a homosexual relationship. No, and here's why. And this is just one little thing, and because I don't want that, I don't want to get off topic here. But I just want to clarify this. In 18, um, chapter 18, and verse at the end of verse one, where he says, um, "Loved him as much as he loved himself." Loved here is not the sexual kind of love that is used elsewhere in the Old Testament of romantic love. That is yada, which is used in between Adam and Eve when, you know, Adam knew Eve like that was Adam yada Eve, okay? That is not the Hebrew word that is used here for loved. It is a completely different word. There is no sexual connotation in this, no hint of it, nothing. So I just want to put that out there and say this is not, that's, that's, this is not the basis for that. So, all right. So point of clarity there. All right, let's move on. <coughs> Excuse me. So prior to this, um, what happens in the story is David is like the great guy, right? And he's like the military campaign advisor to King Saul. All the loving all the women love him and all the men want to be him, right? Okay, and he's just this amazing guy. He's done all these great things for Israel. And uh, he marries into the family, actually, too. And what ensues is, Paul, is Saul just goes bonkers. He tries to murder him, I think it was like five times. And he just loses it. Saul just becomes enraged and feeds on and he's poisoned by his jealousy for David. And he's like, I want to kill this guy. I hate this guy. Even though he's my son-in-law, even though I built him up and brought him on, I want to kill him. And he does try and kill him. So what happens is there's an, this puts Jonathan and David in an interesting predicament. David actually gets a bounty on, he puts a bounty on the head of, uh, or Saul puts a, a bounty on the head of David. And at one point, because the, the, there's the priests, where the priests live, they actually provided sanctuary to David. Saul gets wind of this and is so enraged that he wipes out the entire line of priests. Like, that's how crazy Saul was and how just consumed with rage and jealousy he was over David. Okay, so that, so what happens is there's this delicate dance that kind of ensues um, because Jonathan and David become best buddies, okay? They have a bromance. They're best friends. They're besties, okay? But technically, that could be considered um, treason on Jonathan's part because his loyalty is to his king. David, or uh, Saul is his king and his boss, but he's best friends with the sworn enemy of the state, David. So this puts them in an interesting dance that ensues. And it's the story that unfolds is, you know, um, Saul tries to make an attempt on David's life 
And Jonathan comes and he comforts him and he's like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. We'll figure this out, don't worry about it. Let's come up with this game plan. And David's like, can I trust you? Whose team are you really on? Can I trust you? Can I trust you with my life? Because that's where things are. So David has to split. He has to go live. He, he doesn't come back to the, the royal city for 20 years because Saul just loses it, and he, tries, he puts many attempts on his life. So he takes off, and, and they keep meeting up, and, uh, you know, David is hoping for a reconciliation with Saul because he's like, what happened? What went wrong? I married in the family. You know, this is my father-in-law, and I, and I thought, what did I do wrong? How did I make this guy so mad? So he's still trying to figure this stuff out. And, and it's this delicate story, this great dance of friendship through the midst of this junk with Saul, this crazy guy. All right, so let's get into the text a little bit more. Um, oh, and this is a great quote, too. Um, C.S. Lewis says this, and I think this is what happens. This perfectly captures, too, what happens between Jonathan and David. Um, Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And I think that's what real friendship was part of at the core. But so the friendship we're talking about, once again, is chesed. And it's this deep, deep abiding faithfulness where you can be friends with somebody and you feel comfortable enough to let them see you in your deepest, darkest, most miserable days when you've not showered for days maybe, (laughs) and you can't, you're so depressed, you can't even get up to go turn the light switch on. And you have your friend come into your dark, stinky room (laughs) and talk to your dark, stinky self. That's the type of friendship that we're talking about here. And we'll get into why this type of friendship is necessary and important. But let's look at our first scripture. Okay, 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4. Uh, David made a covenant with... Uh, Or sorry, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, maybe we read that and we're like, oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) He was giving him his, like, his stuff. Isn't that cute? Um, Sophia, my daughter's six and a half, as you guys, lots of you know. And so we'll, we'll have play dates with friends or She'll come home from school, and she'll be like, oh, look at so-and-so gave me this. And I'm like, we don't need more junk, honey. You or she'll be, she'll be like, I want to give you this to one of her friends at school. I want to give you this old, nasty plastic crown that I've been playing with, but it's very special to me. So here, that's not what's going on here. There's a lot of significance that we miss. Jonathan, like I said, was the crown prince. He was the next to inherit the throne. He was the man, okay, besides Saul. When he takes the robe off and hands it to David... And it's a very big gesture. He is, in essence, handing over the kingdom and his inheritance and his right as the crown prince to, to David, to this guy that he has become bonded with. And is like, I don't know, I guess if you're a guy, he'd be like, dude, you're my bro, man. I love you, man. Okay, so, and this is huge because Jonathan could have perceived David as a threat and technically, David was a threat to, John, to Jonathan's inheritance and right as the crown prince. Because here's a guy, and what had happened, what we didn't read over, but um, a couple chapters prior, um, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, speaks over David and is like, you will become the next king of Israel, not Jonathan. Nobody from Saul's line will ascend the throne. It will be you. You will be the next king. So those are pretty, I don't know, if I was Jonathan... I'd kind of be like, oh, really? 
really? Let's think about this friendship, maybe. But what's amazing is Jonathan, the text doesn't say he hesitated, he had to think about it. He just took off his stuff. And not only does he take off the robe and passes it on to David, but he gives him all of his military equipment and his armor. The whole thing. He doesn't hold anything back. And he doesn't try and work an angle. He doesn't try and work the situation to his benefit. And here's what I want us to get from here. A hased friend, a friend that you develop out of hased, this idea of abiding faithfulness, um, it seeks to give the very best and esteem the other person at personal cost to you. That's what happened to Jonathan. He gave at at great personal cost. His identity for Jonathan, he was the crown prince. That was his identity. That's who he was. And he gave that away out of love for his friend David. Hased friendship will cause you to move from that place, to be like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever is best for you. I'm going to give from, a, from the, the core of my being. I'm going to give that to you at no, at no thought about what it's going to cost me. And I think this brings to mind uh, 1 Corinthians 13.4, you know, this great verse about what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And I think Jonathan, what he does by giving the robe and all of his stuff to David just epitomizes what true love is, what true friendship looks like, because he just gives without reserve. And he doesn't say, I'm going to try and work this. I'm going to try and impress on David the importance of what I'm giving him. Nothing. He just gives it to him. No strings attached. All right, now let's go ahead and turn to... uh, 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4. Oh, sorry, just kidding. Not that one. Just kidding, just kidding. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, yes, um, 1 Samuel 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Okay, so you fast forward a little bit, and um, Saul has attempted to kill David a couple times, and David's just kind of at his wit's ends. And I want us to pay attention. Uh, careful attention to the this the setup how this how chapter 20 opens the words that come out of David's mouth and how Jonathan responds so first uh, Samuel 20 verse 1 David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked what have I done what did I do wrong how have I sinned against your father so that he wants to take my life verse 2 Jonathan said to him No, you won't die. Listen, my father doesn't do anything great or small without telling me. So why would he hide this matter from me? This can't be true. Verse 3. But David said, Your father certainly knows that you have come to look favorably on me. He has said, Jonathan must not know of this or else he will be grieved. David also swore, As surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. Verse 4, Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Let's go back and kind of break this little section down here. So David is, you know, he's fleeing again, and he and Jonathan meet up in Ramah. And what's interesting is that David doesn't come up, and he's like, let's, 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 uh, let's grab a pint of mead and shoot the breeze and talk, or let's do arrow practice. David, notice the tone, David is frantic. He just lets a litany of questions 
uh, he unleashes a litany of questions on uh, 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 Jonathan at this point. He's like, what's going on? What, why is this happening? Why is your father so crazy? Why is he trying to kill me? What's going on, right? And so Saul, uh, uh, Jonathan responds, and he's like, dude, just calm down. It's okay. We'll figure this out. And then that doesn't really work. So David, in verse 4, and this is very key, David also swore, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. Underline a step between me and death. David's kind of at the end of his rope here. He's done. And he, he, he's like, I, I'm going to die. And I might as well just throw in the towel. I'm, he's given up. He's probably exceedingly depressed because up at the, to this point, he's been living out of ditches. He's probably eating grubs and locusts and rodents, whatever food he can find. He's probably got dirt caked under his fingernails. He's probably got things growing in his head. He's probably got open wounds. He's a nasty guy on the outside because he's living in ditches and caves. But he's also, that's reflective of his internal condition because he's miserable. Because remember, you know, he was Mr. Hero Guy a couple chapters ago, and now he's living out of caves and ditches. And he's just, and on top of it, he has got the president of the nation who's put a bounty on his head and has committed all of his resources. He actually has other nations trained to track David down. Like, that's how crazy and how obsessed Saul is at this point. So David's like, I'm going to die any day. Like, every day is borrowed, Jonathan. I'm done. I'm discouraged. How many of you guys have been in places like that? I know I have been. I'm just like, you know, I just, I'm done. And you're, you're just so depressed and you're so discouraged. It's just like, ugh, 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 what's the point? I'm done. And then you have a friend. I have a, I have a, can Anna Teague stand up? Yeah, stand up. Stand up, Anna. Stand up. Come on, you have to stand up. Oh, okay, thank you. That's my sister. But what's cool is my sister's also one of my best friends. And so my sister, we, 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 we've pretty much gotten along, but we, we went through a period where we were just like, mm, not so much. But my sister has been one of those people that's come in when I've been just super down in the dumps and I haven't washed my hair and I'm stinky and I haven't eaten anything. And she's like, come on, get it, pull it together. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. When I have felt like there is a step between me and death, where I'm just like, mm, not feeling life anymore. I'm done. I want to check out. I'm done. I'm done, done. And my sister's come along. She's like, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you didn't. Get up. Get up. Come on. And you have to have friends like that in your life. Um, we'll get into it later, but uh, Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, If one person falls down, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone, when they fall, are in real trouble. I always think about those commercials, you know, the help I've fallen and I can't get up. It's like the monitoring devices for older people, you know, if you fall. And they show these pictures, that, these, these commercials where people always fall and they're by themselves in their house. It's funny, but it's true, right? If you're elderly and you've fallen and you've gotten hurt and nobody's there to help you, you're going to... You might lay on the ground for a couple days. 
Well, guess what? That's how it is in life. If you have not made good close friends that come in, can come in and bust down your door, maybe it's emotional or whatever, your emotional doors, and be like, get up. What are you doing? Get in the shower. <laughs> get yourself clean. Eat some food. Come on. Shake it off. It's going to be okay. What do you need for me to do for you? You will stay down. God's like, I didn't make you to be like that. I made you to be in community. I made you to be in good community, in close community, not Facebook community. <laughs> you know, maybe where you have, uh, I don't know, 3,000 friends, but how many of those people can know by the tone in your voice if you're depressed or if you're struggling or if you're just off a little bit? Well, for me, my sister can. My sister can be like, what's up? Something's wrong. I'm like, no, I'm fine. She's like, don't lie. Don't lie. What's up? What's up? And so God calls us to have friendships like this. This is this hased. Because when you're a friend like that, when you're busting in on somebody, I, I have a friend, Lisa, right now, who I've known since college. And um, she has just been through a lot in life. And um, right now her dad's dying. <clears throat> and I just, we just went down to Orange County last weekend and I saw her. And her dad's in ICU right now, and he's kind of just like this health-wise, just all over the place. And he flatlined a couple of times, and then they brought him back. And she's just a train wreck right now. She lives in Pennsylvania, and she's been out here for a month. And she's just her nerves. She's, she's got a two-year-old daughter, too, and a husband. And um, she's like, I am so, my nerves are frayed right now. She's like, my God, I have nothing left to give. So we talked about stuff, and then they're trying for a second kid. They want to try and have a second kid. And, and so... She's like, I have nothing left. I'm done. I'm done with life. I feel like I am. There's a step between me and death. She's like, I've got nothing left to give. She's like, I just, I just want to step off the world. She's like, I don't want to off myself. I just want to step off of the world right now. She's like, I'm done. I have nothing left to give. And so we sat there, and my other good friend, Dana, and we were, the three of us are like chesed. We have chesed. We're like soul sisters. Our souls have been knit together. And so... We just sat there and talked about options and possibilities for the dad. And she was talking about, you know, feeling awful that she said, maybe the best thing for my dad, she's like, and I feel awful, but maybe he should just pass. He would be not in pain anymore, and we wouldn't have to keep resuscitating him. He's in agony right now. And let me tell you, that was not a fun conversation to have, you know. I wanted to talk about purses and shoes and shopping and other light stuff. But you know what? That's part of the chesed is that you walk beside that person if they're going through a dark valley. You're right there next to them. You're not, you're not like, you know what? Dark valleys really aren't my thing. I'll, when you come out on the other side, give me a holler and we'll, we'll hook up for lunch. Let's do that. Or we'll, get, we'll grab a cup of coffee. Chesed requires that we walk alongside that person that's going through a dark valley, and we're like, I'm right next to you. I will not leave your side. Like Sam and Frodo in Lord of the, the Rings, you know, when they have to go to Mordor. Mordor, <laughs> right? It's like you have to return the ring there to destroy it. And Elijah Wood's like, I got to, oh, his character Frodo, he's like, I got to do this on my own. I don't want you, Sam, to, to die because I'll probably just die doing this. And Sam's like, uh-uh, you can't write me off that easily. I'm coming with you. I'm sticking next to you. Even if it means certain death at the end of the road, I'm there with you. And I'm not saying that we make suicide packs with our friends. That's not what I'm saying. But a lot of times life is just rough, and we go through dark places. And we must have chesed friends next to us, or we will not make it. We will die getting through that dark valley. We have to have people walking next to us. 
So my challenge, I'm not done yet. Maybe some of you guys are like, oh, thank God she's done. I'm not done, not done. Uh, but I want you to be thinking, do you have people in your life that will walk next to you when you're depressed, when you're stinky, when you're foul, when you're cranky, when you're in excruciating pain, or when you're going through a horrible personal illness? Do you have people that you can just be like, yeah, this is me, and it's not pretty right now? You still like it? <laughs> you still want to be my friend? you got to have people that are like, yeah, because our relationship's not built on convenience or, or, or what I like or how I feel. It's built on chesed. It is built on loving kindness, that faithfulness that says, I will stick closer to you than glue. I will be there when the cards are down. <clears throat> and I, I want you guys to, I have a video for you guys too. And I think this is, um, this is probably the only clip I could use from this movie. It's from Bridesmaids. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's one of the few clips, and in the story here, the main protagonist um, is played by Kristen Wiig. She's just kind of made a shambles out of her life, and um, she's just blown it. And uh, so her friend Megan comes to give her a pep talk. Okay, thanks. Anyways, that's, I think that's just a great... <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but... It's a good movie on friendship. There's a lot of questionable parts, but it's a good movie. So maybe you can rent the uh, G version or the PG version. But it's a, great, it's a great commentary on friendship and what's at the core of true friendship. So, Okay, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 23, please. 1 Samuel 23, we'll start with 15. So my next point here, it, the fruits that chesed relationship should bear is that a true friend reminds us of God's calling on our lives, of who we are in Christ. Okay, so once again, David is just kind of, he's running all over the place. He's hiding out in caves in the wilderness. And so <laughs> Saul has come out again to hunt down David, to kill him, to try and kill him again. And David's probably like, really? I'm not living life out here. Why can't you just let me die out here in the wilderness? But no, that's not good enough. Saul's like, no, oh no, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make sure it's painful and it's long. That's what I'm going to do, okay? So this is the setting. And Jonathan here in this verse, at, at, in this verse, at great peril to himself and his, his well-being, comes out to utter words of encouragement to David because he knows that his friend is in just the dumps. All right, so let's start. Uh, one, or 23, uh, 15, starting with 15. David was in the wilderness in Ziph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God. Underline that, please. And encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father... Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. And what is neat here is that Saul meets, he, he goes out and he meets David, right? But his response to him he doesn't say, dude, just suck it up, be a man, or remember, God's for you, rah, rah, What does he do? He encouraged him in his faith in God. Do you have friends when the chips are down? They're like, you know what? 
screw God, move on. Obviously, God's not for you. Or do you have friends that are like, remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you are a new man in, in Christ, that you are a new woman in Christ, that you have a new identity in Christ, and that God is faithful. Do your friends remind you of that? Do they encourage you in that way? This is what Jonathan did for Saul. Do not be afraid. Because remember, perfect love casts out fear. Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay hand on you. And here's the part that's awesome. So Jonathan is still in line to become the next crown prince. He is the next guy, right? And it's looking maybe like things are going to, you might be ascending the throne faster because Saul is on this rampage. He's, 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 try, he's doing crazy things. He's putting his own life in peril to get at David, okay? Even with all this on the line, Jonathan doesn't go back on what he did in chapter 18 by giving uh, David his robe. He doesn't renege on that. He's, he reminds him of God's call on his life. Okay? So verse 17. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I will be your second in command. Whoa. Jonathan could have taken advantage of the situation and where David was emotionally at this point and been like, yeah, dude, you're done. Your days are numbered. You're done. But he didn't. He reminded him of who he was in God and God. And then Yahweh's call on his life. He said, you are going to be the king. You know, come on, remember that. Remember, remember what Samuel anointed you with. Remember that call in your life. Do you have friends? True chesed friends will do that to you. They will say, remember who you are in Christ. Do you know? Do you remember who you are in Christ? After college, I, um, I had I had. Uh, my mom did a good job modeling for my sister and I what, what good friendship was. And as a result, uh, my sister and I have been able to develop great friendships. And I have friends from college, this totally dates me, <clears throat> that are like 23 years old. <laughs> and um, so my, I have, one of my friends is Dana. And Dana, she's crazy. She, um, she was defending her dissertation. She's a professor. And she was defending her dissertation when she was eight months pregnant. Crazy, crazy. With, another two, with a two-year-old at home. But she also finds time to do stuff like this. Every year, for our group of friends, she makes either a book or a calendar. And it's pictures of us throughout the years. And there's like 14 of us in this group. And we all have kids. And we're all spread out across, you know, the nation. I don't know how she finds time. She's a professor, and she's got two girls at home. But she still finds time to make stuff like this. Anyways, this is, and then there's a picture on the back. If you guys want to come up later, you can see how dorky I was in college. But there's a picture of all of us and our college friends on the back here. And so a lot of my college friend, my girlfriends, this group of us, including Dana, after college I kind of went, and I was like, I'm going to do my own thing, and God... I know you love me, but I'm still going to do my own thing. So I went and did my own thing. And I think I've shared this with you guys before, but uh, I, I started dating a coke addict, <laughs> which I would not recommend. And um, so just got myself into a whole different world. It was like, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Okay. And my girlfriends, and I went to a very conservative Christian college up, up in uh, Santa Barbara area. And... Um, my girlfriends, though, you know what? They didn't say, ooh, dirty, you're dirty, you're tainted, what are you doing? They came around me, and they're like, they were, they were honest. They're like, what are you doing, girl? Seriously, what? He's a coke addict. What? What? <laughs> what? 
And they loved on me, though. They were like, if you need to get away from this guy, why don't you come live with me and my family in Seattle? We'll take care of you. You know, just get away from this guy. And, and uh, not one of them gave me a lecture. Not one of them, I mean, they told me what was up. They're like, you're stupid, 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 stupid. But not one of them said, when you get your life together, let me know. You know, they loved me, embraced me where I was. And when we have friends like that, they're going to, and they reminded me, they're like, you know this is not you. You know that you're better than this. You know that this is not what God wants of you. God has called you to better and bigger and, and different things, and this is not it. Snap out of it. And I, I did. <laughs> I broke up with a guy. And um, so here's what I want us to get out of this. Is sometimes, like David, we get lost in our own wilderness, right? And our friends have to come find us and be like, what are you doing? Snap out of it. Come on. You're not supposed to get lost in the wilderness. Remember, this is where God called you. This is, this is the place that God called you to be. This is who God called you to, to touch and the lives he asked you to reach out and grab. This is it. Come up here. This is where you're supposed to be. We need to have friends like that that can be the voice in the wilderness that can come out that can come into the wilderness and call us out. We have to have friends like that. And that is one of the, the benefits of having a, a friendship that is based in said. All right. Let's look at the last point here. First uh, Samuel 20, uh, verses 30 through 34. All right, so what's happened here is, um, in this chapter, so that's 20, First uh, Samuel 20, 30 through 34. Um, at this point... Um, David is split because he knows Saul's already made an attempt on his life twice. And so it's this uh, feast of new moon, okay, the new moon feast, right? And um, it's, a, it's a big holiday that celebrates the new month. And so it's kind of more of a show of force, like, that's right, we're, we're this ruling party, we're big, we're bad, we're awesome. So the king, typically, this was common in the ancient Near Eastern world, would throw a huge feast, and he would invite all of his top advisors and all of the court to come sit with him. And it was a, it was a sign of solidarity, kind of, and, and a show of loyalty. So if you didn't show up, it was clearly saying, I am not loyal to you, king. You know, see you later. <laughs> and so the first night, David doesn't show up. And so uh, King Saul's like, okay, well, he's maybe not ceremonial clean. He's, you know, he's dirty. Okay, so I'll give him a free pass for the first day. Second day, David doesn't show up either. Well, Saul just loses it. He just loses it. And his son, Jonathan, though, is at the feast. And let's read what happens. 30. Okay, so this is what happens. So Saul tells um, what provokes this, this outburst from Saul is that Jonathan has told Saul that David uh, went to go hang out with his family <laughs> for the feast. Okay. So Saul responds thusly, uh, starting with verse 30. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Let me just stop you there. <clears throat> this is very toned down in the original text. In the Hebrew, it's pretty perverse. It's, I'll just leave that to you guys. But, so Saul is, is just beside himself, and he's, he's dropping all kinds of words <laughs> against his own son. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son? 
Now, what's interesting here is Saul is so disgusted and is filled with so much hate for David, he can't even bring himself to call him by his, his name. So he calls him the son of Jesse, which is a slight. Okay. Um, Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? Every day Jesse's son lives on earth. You and your kinship are not secure. Now send for him and bring him to me. He deserves to die. Verse 32. Pay attention to this. Jonathan answered his father back. Why is he to be killed? What has he done? 33. Then Saul threw his spear at Jonathan to kill him. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. He got up from the table in fierce anger, and he did not eat any food that second day of the new moon, for he was grieved because of his father's shameful behavior toward David. Now what's interesting here, not only did Saul chew out his own son, and this is in front of everybody, this is very public, I don't know. How many, how many of you guys who are married have gotten into a fight in public? I'm just going to keep it real. Okay. All right. It's not pretty and it's awkward. And then afterwards you're like, oh my gosh, why did we do that? Oh, that was really awkward. Okay. We'll magnify that by a hundredfold because this is at a major feast. You have all the dignitaries there, the entire, um, the entire, the entire uh, cabinet is there. Everybody that supports the king is there. The king himself, the advisors, the supporters of the advisors, everybody, okay? There are a lot of people there. And they have this fight in front of everybody. Saul insults Jonathan, calls his mom something very nasty. And then on top of it, he tries to kill his own son. He tries to kill the crown prince right then and there in front of everybody. (laughs) Plenty of witnesses. And what I want us to get, though, is that Jonathan knew walking into this feast when he went to give the, the reason for why David wasn't there. He lied. Jonathan lied on behalf of David. And I'm not saying lying's okay, but you know what? <laughs> Saul was going to kill him. But I guess that's a whole other sermon. We'll talk about lying later. But um, what I want us to get, though, is that Saul walks into the new feast situation knowing probably how it's going to go down knowing that he is going to defend his friend, David, and what the consequences are going to be. So here's what I want us to get. Um, A Hasid friend remains faithful even when it's not convenient and even to personal disadvantage. When When you are sure that you are not going to come out on top, you stick with your friend. You stick with your friend. Jonathan was a smart guy. You know, he's... Some people say he was like, some commentators in his late 40s. So he had lived a lot of life already. He'd seen life, right? So he knows how this situation's going to go down. And he could have played it off with his dad. Like, oh, yeah, David, loser. You need to fire him, you know? David's not there. He's lost in the wilderness. He's not going to know anything, right? But he sticks with his friend, and he defends his friend. Defends his friend knowing that his dad is consumed with bitterness and with anger and with hatred. And that will most likely spill over onto him. But he does it anyways. And this is what I want us to get. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that are willing to go to the mat for you? Even when they know they they might not come out on top or it's a losing battle, you know? Do you have friends that you know will be right next to you when things don't look too perky? (laughs) You know? 
when things look kind of gloomy? Do you have friends that will walk with you in those dark valleys? <coughs> so here's, can I have the band come up and the ushers please to ush? So here's, here's what my challenge to you guys. And this is where we're talking about friendship. It's not because it's a cute, warm and fuzzy concept, um, but because God is like, hey, I made you to be in community. I would encourage you guys, I challenge you guys, go home maybe during the week, do some research on the health benefits of having friends. It is, it is kind of mind-blowing. And it's cool to see how the scientific world is kind of affirming what's in the Bible. God, God made us. He knows how we function best and, at, and how we function at, at our optimal levels. It's in community. And so here's my challenge to you guys. Do you have friends that you can call up at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever, or when your hair is stinky nasty and you haven't showered in days and be like, can you just come and sit with me right now? Like, I can't even get up and go sit in the living room. Can you come sit on my nasty, stinky bed with me and my nasty, stinky hair? I'm just, like, I haven't changed my clothes in days. Can you come sit with me? Do you have friends that will do that, number one? Number two, are you that kind of friend? Because guess what? God has been a friend like that to us. Yes, he's our sovereign God, and he is way above us, but he's like, I was, as I was studying through this, I went through the New Testament. Time after time after time after time, when Jesus is interacting and talking to people, he calls them friend. He doesn't say, hey, peon, <laughs> hey, loser, hey, sinner. He's like, friend. And he invites them in for conversation. Friend, friend, friend. Jesus, God, first reached out to us and said, I want to be your friend. I want to practice chesed with you. I want to have chesed. I want to show you my loving kindness that will endure through the ages, that will be with you in the darkest of dark times. So Jesus first reached out to us, and I want to encourage you this week, be on the lookout to be that kind of friend. And maybe in relationships that you already have, Maybe bump it up a couple of notches and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I've been kind of a fair-weather friend. Forgive me. Let's go grab coffee. What's going on in your life? Friendship, it's it's not like uh, ordering a cider ranch with our fries or something. It's not an optional thing. God's like, I have called you to community. I have called you into hased because I have modeled that. Anytime God models something, we are call- we, it's not an option. We must follow. We must follow and we must embrace it. So I'm encouraging you this week, be on look for opportunities to practice that chesed friendship, that chesed relationship. And it can be with people in your own family even. But do that. Walk with people. God will bless you and he'll bless others. All right, let's go ahead and close out with worship. <laughs>